0: Uh, good morning, and God bless you, Palmyra uh, Fellowship Bible Church. As you said, my name is Daniel Tobar, and I'm very grateful to be here with you all. And it's an honor to be able to preach from God's Word. Uh, throughout this summer, you guys have journeyed through the book of First John, and as Eli Braley said, 1 um, John is a letter that opens up the whole message of Christianity, and it unpacks it little by little. And uh, First John one three, at the beginning of the letter, it says. Uh, So that you too would have fellowship with us and indeed with the father and his son, Jesus Christ Uh, That through first john it says that christianity is a relationship with god And with his people and we come to a close of that letter uh, This morning and so I want to read that passage again So if you could open your bibles with me and we'll look at first john chapter 5 Uh, We'll start from verse 13 and then we'll read it to the end of the passage There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. So I just want to pray quickly before we begin. Lord, thank you uh, for saving us. You have taken us from death into life, and that is glorious, but not only do you save us, you want to assure us of that. You do not want us to wander in the dark, wondering whether or not you love us. You want us to know that you do, in fact, love us and have saved us. And you do that because prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here is our hearts, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Would you do that as we unpack this passage and as we hear from First John Would your spirit assure our hearts of your love for us? your name we pray. Amen. We all desire certainty. And I think it's our fear of failure and disaster warrants it. I don't know about you, but I often have to, as I leave the house, I have to make sure that I have the alarm on, make sure I lock the door, and especially that I don't leave the stove on. And I think that happens, obviously, because... We want certainty because we don't want to lose the things that we have. And we want assurance because we care about the things that we have. And on a deeper level, you might think of yourself, your family, or your loved ones. We don't want to lose the people that we love or the things that we have. And that does matter to God, and it should matter, and it does matter to you. But God, to God, what matters supremely is our relationship to him. And if we have assurance of our relationship with God, what do we have to fear? And if you look at verse 13 again, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So John's writing to Christians, to us this morning, that you may know that you have eternal life. This verse right here displays the whole point of the letter of 1 John, that God, out of his assuring love, wants us to know that we are saved. He wants us to have that security in Him. And you might ask, if God has saved us, why do we find it, why do we struggle to have assurance? Why does God anticipate our need for assurance? What I believe this text answers us is why God assures His people. There's something that God is doing and is at work as we struggle to believe And have faith in God and to grow in that. God works through assuring his people. And we'll see that at the end of the sermon. So as we look at verses 13 through 20, we're going to see three assurances. And then as we look at verse 21, we'll see one final action. So these three assurances as we begin will lead us to that final action. And so that's the work that we'll get to so we can see that end of why God assures his people. Uh, So let's begin. Uh, First, be assured God hears our prayers. Verses 14 and 15 read, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. First, be assured, God hears our prayers. Now, we may be tempted to gloss over this beginning assurance. We may think, God hears me, shouldn't that be a given? But we must remember the fall. Uh, Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the Garden of Eden, and when they disobeyed God, um, there was an eternal chasm between God and all of humanity. Uh, Because of sin and our brokenness, we do not deserve God's compassionate ears hearing our prayers. So when we hear this beginning assurance, God hears our prayers. That's something that should um, amaze us. It's, It's humbling. And God wants us, as his children, to be assured that we will never be left unheard. And God is not annoyed by our prayers. He welcomes our prayers, and he empathizes with us in our suffering. This passage reminds me of the Israelites as they were going through slavery. In Exodus 2.23, it reads, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and saying, and God knew. In the same way, we can come to God with our burdens and with our prayers. And not only does God hear our prayers, he knows them all. So whatever your needs be, God knows them all. And God knows exactly, as a father, how to deal with them all. He will not leave you abandoned, neglected, or distraught. God draws near to us. He hears our prayers, and he comforts us with grace. Even evil fathers do not give their children a stone when they ask for bread. How much more our Heavenly Father? And Jesus calls us to come to him in prayer, and he says He says to come with confidence. And I think the reason is because he suffered and knows our pain. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with, and it uses the same word as in 1 John, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. May our assurance that God hears our prayers move us to have confidence as we come to the throne of grace. God hears us. He knows our pain and wants to work in us. In our most desperate, uh, depressed, and difficult moments, it is a comfort that we know that we can come in any time of need to the throne of grace where God will hear us and meet us. But maybe on a different notion, you might wonder this morning, yes, God hears me. I, I see that here. But does he act for my good? And it may seem at times, because of difficult situations in life, it doesn't feel like he even hears me at all. Well, you're not alone this morning. The psalmists, in their laments, ask, Why have you forgotten me? Psalm 42.9 Why do you hide your face from me? Psalm 88.14 Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Psalm 86.1 God hears us even when it seems like he is distant. And suffering can do that. It can tend to cloud our judgment. But God comes shining through our clouds of doubt with his compassion to hear us. But do I always get what I want or what I'm praying for? Well, when facing the torturous crucifixion, the bitter cup of God's wrath, Judas's betrayal, bearing the sin of humanity, it brought Jesus to sweat blood and ask, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And look at the text in verse 15. It says, we pray confidently. According to what? According to his will. And we may not understand, but God, as a careful surgeon, he cuts to heal us. And we follow in Jesus' example. And truly, God works the deepest in our darkest moments. God works for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Jesus modeled prayer so that we would say, O Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come and your will be done. So even in the most difficult situations, God is working for our good, even though it may be hard to discern that or to see that. So we can trust him. We can pray confidently, and we can pray confidently according to his will, knowing that God uses our present suffering, and it will not compare to future glory. So that's the first assurance here. God hears our prayers. But how does John apply this assurance? Let's look at verse 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So he says, apply this God hearing our prayers. So if you see your brother or sister in sin, in a sin that does not lead to death, pray for him. It seems very simple, but then you have to ask yourself, what is the sin that leads to death? I think we can find a lot of help from the whole book of 1 John. In one sense, we can see in 1 John 3, 4, if you look at the end of it, it says, uh, sin is lawlessness. And you might say, well, as we've dealt in previous preachings through 1 John, as it said in verse 8, Christians cannot sin. And you might think, well, that's contradictory. Because if you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, if you say you have no sin, you call God a liar. So how can you say, you cannot sin, and then also say, well, I do not sin, and then that makes, you know, it seems contradictory. So that cannot be what it means. It cannot mean any sin that I commit. It has to be something different and more specific. I believe that sin right here, the sin that leads to death, refers to rejecting Jesus as God. Uh, why can I say this? If you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, if you go there quickly. It says, uh, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. So what does it mean then, this commandment? As I said in 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. So this law that is broken is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That is what he's referring to here. So, when it says the sin that leads to death, that means to say, I reject Jesus as God. And so, Christians cannot do that. And I know that every Christian here confidently would not say, I deny Jesus as God. And so, that means that if you are a Christian, you cannot sin unto death. And so, that's meant to assure us this morning because we believe that Jesus is God. And that means. Someone can be very law-abiding, living piously, and yet if they reject Jesus as God, then they are not born again. Those who do so are not a child of God. But it says that we should not pray for them, in the sense that as if they were a Christian, because they are not. Instead, we pray for their salvation. So then, if your brother or sister is struggling with sins that do not lead to death, moral sins from the law... May we come around them, encourage them with Scripture, and the promise applies, pray confidently, because we know that God hears us. And we know that God, since God hears us, he wants to work in us as a community and as a church. And I think this can be very difficult, because pointing out things, I mean, it can be very awkward at times. We don't want to appear judgmental or prideful. And um, we may be deceived to thinking that confronting a Christian and brother and sister in love makes us look like we're perfect or pharisaical. But in reality, when done in humility, it is one of the most loving things that you can do. Proverbs 27, 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Or we also see in the New Testament, Hebrews three thirteen: Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Think of a time, I know I can, when another Christian has pointed something within you. It stung at first, like alcohol in a wound. But God uses that to heal us, and, as the text said, to give us life. We can encourage one another with the life of the word to our struggling brothers and sisters when praying for freedom over their sins. And rather than gossiping, We are praying for them. Rather than judging them, uh, we must remember grace. And rather than excusing their sin, we confront them in love. May this beginning assurance that God hears us move us to pray for our brothers and sisters in need and pray for them continuously. And we know and can be assured that God hears our prayers. Secondly, the second assurance is be assured God keeps us till the end. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Be assured, God keeps us till the end. We live in a world full of disease and destruction, deception and disordered desires, depression and death. We try with a false sense of hope to do all that we can to protect ourselves, especially our bodies. We all cringe at the sight of a child dying of hunger and are stomachs churned to hear about the latest mass shootings. And yet, with the greatest medicine, savings in our bank accounts, and fences around our homes, we still don't feel safe, and so we fear. The world fears, but perhaps deep inside we have fears for our own fate and of our loved ones. Nevertheless, this assurance um, is much greater than physical protection of our bodies. God is talking about our souls. He's saying, I will protect you till the end. And this should give us confidence, despite the physical and terrible sufferings that are in this world. And we have the greatest protector. It says that the one who is born of God protects him. Jesus, the one born of God, fully human and fully God, he protects us from the evil one, the evil one, Satan, whose main work is to steal, kill, and destroy And Satan, he cannot take away our salvation, but he can deceive us to fret about our state in Christ, make us wonder whether or not we're with God or not with God, and he can deceive us into believing that sin will not affect our lives. The text says, the evil one, he cannot touch us. The word touch in Greek can be translated more literally to lay hold of, and a commentator notes that it was commonly used, this word touch, to lay hold of, uh, to, to use to set papyri on fire. So it was a way that they would take paper and they would burn it on fire to touch, to, to take it away. And he further explains, like you could read it this way, Satan cannot set you on fire, and that is that he cannot harm you eternally. As Romans sixteen twenty declares, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. One day we will live in eternity and Satan will be bound forever. And in the present, Christians may suffer like Job, uh, who lost his kids, suffered with diseases, and faced the belittlement of his friends. But we are protected from Satan and the world. The devil can also deceive us by promising us the pleasures of the world, and in return, desires to destroy our lives. And I think that the spiritual forces against us may be very difficult to detect, in this day and age. Um, but we see it in the sinful things of the world. As the text says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, through 20, 17 kind of alludes to that. Do not love the things of the world. And what are these things of the world? Um, they are the allures of pleasure that tempt us of what truly matters. The devil and our own flesh seek to make our lives endlessly about ourselves. However, God loves you so much that he does not want us to be like the world. He wants to conform us into his image. And what a joy is it to know that we do not lie in the power of the evil one. God plucked us out of this decaying world into his loving hands. And again, as it says here, we do not keep on sinning, or better translated, we do not sin. This again refers to our rejection of Jesus Christ as God. We cannot reject Jesus, for we are from God. And we can be confident that since God hears our prayers, God will keep us till the end. So do not fear about tomorrow or worry about what's going on in the world. God has everything in control. We will die on earth, but we'll live forever in eternity. We know this and can be assured because God will keep us till the end. Now, this last assurance that John gives comes in verse 20, and it is be assured, brothers and sisters, in God, we have the truth. Let's look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The last assurance John gives is that in God we have the truth. I think this is particularly important for our day and age. Uh, we live in a world that wishes to deny truth exists at all. It's this term that people call postmodernism, which all it basically means is it's trying to move past the idea of having to prove things as true. And simply put, whatever feels right to you is truth. And they claim that there's no such thing as absolute truth. So they don't, they don't just want you to be tolerant. They want you to accept every other belief. And they would say, it's it's wrong and even prideful to say, well, I have the truth. And yet, John, he ends the climax of these assurances, and he wants us to be assured and confident that we indeed have the ultimate, absolute, and timeless truth. Truth that uh, grounds us in reality, truth that Guides us in a way that we should walk and truth that guards us from things that are false things namely that are against The truth and, and the truth of god's word is not simply intellectual things that we can know It's experiential things that we want to live out. It's not simply informational, but it's transformational And john emphasizes the truth and we see this truth in the final portion three times If you look again at verse 20 it says uh, The Son of God has come and given us understanding that we know that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ, and he is the true God and eternal life. First, Jesus has come and has given us understanding. It's one of the reasons why he has come, so that we can know him who is true, and that is found in God. And he sent Jesus to testify to his God, to his divinity. And why is it through Jesus that we can have assurance? Uh, look back at the, the beginning of the letter, 1 John chapter 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was the Father and was made manifest to us. So John, as well alongside the apostles, witnessed Jesus. And not only did the apostles witness him, but 500 people after the resurrection of Jesus. And he wants us to know that in Jesus, we see God. We see power over death. We know that Jesus fulfills every Old Testament prophecy of coming as the Messiah. And Jesus did not sin in any way. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. And we know that Jesus was the word of God from eternity. And we can be assured, knowing that Jesus came to display God through his life. Only through Christ can we see God. Hebrews 1, 3 states, He is Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. Not only does Jesus display God as true, it says that we are in Jesus, who is the truth. Which is a comfort to know that we are not our own. Um, Christ has bought us with his blood, which is why we do not live aimlessly. We can live purposefully, purposefully, knowing and following God's providential plan for our lives. That God knows what he's doing with us. And he doesn't just come alongside us. It says that he is in us. And if God is in us, how can we doubt that we are saved? I love the way that John Owen puts it. He says, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father. The greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. He is the true God and eternal life. As Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will never die, die eternally. And this life does not compare to eternity. We can be assured that in God, we have the truth. We have nothing to fear, doubt, or be dismayed concerning who Jesus is, And what he proclaims, for in God we have the truth. All who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So this passage, as we've done this work at the ending of the letter, it has assured us. God hears our prayers, God will keep us till the end, and then in God we have the truth. But to what effect? What does assurance of God's love for us do in us? Well, the main point of the sermon, the way that this whole passage connects, is that assurance of our salvation fuels our love for Jesus above all things. Uh, Assurance of our salvation fuels our love for Jesus above all things. Look at how the letter concludes. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And rather than ending, which would be more common to say, grace be to you, or a prayer, he ends with a command and I feel that John's composure wasn't, he wasn't angry. It wasn't self-righteous like, little children, keep yourself from idols. You know? But I think it's out of assurance. It's out of love. And he could have begun with, my children, keep yourself from idols and then assure us. But he assures us first and then tells us to keep ourselves from idols. And I think that assuring us with God's love, it should propel us to say, God, there's no one like you. Who can I put my trust in but you? And this is typical of John, because if you look at 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. God's love, his assurance for us is what fuels our love for God. And these idols are anything we place above God or, and put our full confidence in, whether it be a person or a thing that has all our joy found within. Now, this does not mean that we do not love other things, but that only Christ reigns supreme. Idols cannot hear us. They cannot work providentially for our good. Uh, Habakkuk 2.18 says, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For it's maker trusts in his own creation when he makes a speechless, speechless idols. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. There is no prophet in an idol. There's nothing of worth. It cannot hear our prayers. It cannot protect us from Satan and the world, from the lust of the flesh that tempts us to find pleasure outside of God's will that leaves us empty, from the lust of the eyes that tempts us to find joy in things that God calls us not to look at. The pride of life that tempts us to think that we are most happy when we make life about us, yet in return bitters our hearts. We must not love the things of the world, for it is passing away, and only God's word remains forever. Idols lie. They will not fulfill their promises. They're teachers of lies. Only in God do we have the truth. And Jesus keeps us so that we would keep ourselves from idols, And so that we hear this trifecta of assurances. God hears our prayers. God will keep us till the end. And in God, we have the truth so that we would say, who is man that you are mindful of him? And whom have I in heaven but you? And nothing on earth I desire besides you. May we keep ourselves from idols because we love Jesus above all things. He took our sin upon the cross, saved us from the wrath of God and calls us to live in a life of holiness. Our true joy comes from living for Jesus and being like Jesus. Assurance of our salvation fuels our love for Jesus above all things. I want to close by recounting a story in Pilgrim's Progress. You trespassed on my land last night, trampling in and lying on my property. Therefore, you must come along with me, said Giant Despair. And Giant Despair took Christian and Hopeful. And he placed them in Doubting Castle. He would leave them famished. And he greatly enjoyed beating the joy and faith out of them by whipping them physically with a fearful Crabtree Cudgel Club. Giant Despair even took Christian and Hopeful outside and they sat at a grave. And he told them to look at the bones of those who passed by this Doubting Castle and gave up. And seeing this, Christian and Hopeful contemplated ending their life and christian said why should you continue to choose life seeing that it is filled with so much bitterness i think we can feel that way at times doubts uh, can paralyze us it can beat the joy hope and faith out of us which is why i believe god wants to assure us this morning and sometimes looking at the bitter and evilness of life we wonder well what's the point I felt this way as Christian did. My, my first year of college, I began to doubt my faith and specifically question whether I was saved or not. As I was studying for ministry, I was like, well, how can I do ministry if I don't really know I'm saved? And there's some questions that I had about Christianity which led me to feel like this doubting castle. I had a lot of questions about evil. Um, two years prior, my mom was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 cancer. And I, I was just... Asking God, well, why would you allow something like this to happen? And so it kind of led me to a very dark place. I did feel despair. But I thank God that He didn't leave me there. And God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in a doubting castle. God gave me hope through his word and through his church. And he can do that for you. Um, The way that story ended, character, his name was Hope. He encouraged Christian. He said, don't take your life. As it reads, on Saturday, about midnight, the prisoners began to pray. And they continued in prayer almost till the break of day. Now, a short while before it was daylight, Christian, like someone suddenly amazed, broke out with the most passionate exclamation. What a fool I have been to lie in this stinking dungeon when I could have just well walked free. In my chest pocket, I have a key called promise that will, I'm thoroughly persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said Hopeful, that is good news. My good brother, do immediately take it out of your chest pocket and try it. When we doubt, when we have despair, do not forget. You have the promises of God. These assurances that we just read are for us, not only today, but for eternity. Faith is the key. As 1 John 5, 4, the memory verse for this week, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Faith overcomes the world. Faith in God's assurances takes us out of Doubting Castle, keeps us from the immoral vanity fair, and... Empowers us as we travel all together to the celestial city. Like this moves us to see Jesus as most glorious. Like nothing can compare to him, no idol, nothing can compare to who Jesus is and who he is for us. May this assurance fuel our love for Jesus above all things. Let's pray. God, Thank you that right now as we pray, we can be confident that you hear us. Whatever our needs be, you will work all things according to your will. We might fear what may happen tomorrow or in the years to come, but let us not have doubt or be uncertain that you keep us till the end. As your children, we have nothing to fear. In you, we have the truth. As Peter said, I run to nothing else. Whom have I, um, who else has the words of eternal life? That's only you, God. So may we run to you and nothing else. And may our assurance that you've saved us, may that fuel our love for you above all things. Would you do that in us? And for those who do not know you, would you reveal yourself to them? In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you and thank you.